What's up, everybody? It is Tuesday, which means it is time for another episode of the Hold That Podcast podcast, where we break down all things LSU football. I am your host, T-Bob Bear. I am joined by your other host, or I guess co-host is the professional term, little inside the biz for you there, Brody. Uh, I am joined by the Athletics, Brody Miller. Brody, what's up, man? man not too much, man. Enjoying the bye week, living the dream. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's Two your bye week? weeks, one season. What's your week looking like? A little, little more chill than normal? Yeah, a little more chill than normal. Going to spend some, some quality time in New Orleans in a few days. Uh, Ross Dellinger's in town th- these next two nights, so that'll probably be a little fun action there. But nice. yeah, yeah, it's gonna be a fun week. How about you? What are you doing for Halloween? Uh, I will be in New Orleans with the girlfriend. Um, probably doing some New Orleans Halloween thingies. Um, yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, be how about you, fun. man? You got it, kiddos? Uh, yeah, this will be my first Halloween with kids that can actually trick or treat because Alice is, you know, almost. True. Two years old now, and she's uh, running all around, and you know we've already got our costumes ready to roll. I think tell tell it to the people. Um, I'm excited for but well, we're doing Star Wars, yeah. uh, and I've shared it online. I mean, I think her costume is fantastic. I think mine is too. I got it from Galaxy's Edge. Which shout out to Galaxy's Edge. Everything about that theme park is top quality, and uh, the Jedi costume is top quality as well. I ain't even have my brown over robes on in the pictures that I tweeted out. That was just the. The under tunic. So, so there's more coming. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, Damn. It, but but it's it's great. It's really comfortable. I, I love them. Uh, Which point- reminds me, are you listening to the new binge mode Star Wars series? And what's binge mode? You don't know binge mode? No. It's literally know. made for you. What is binge mode? It's, uh, it's a ringer podcast. It's uh, Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion. They're basically it started with Game of Thrones, and it was just like because they are two of the biggest like deep readers of the book nerds on earth. Yeah. So basically, going into I want to say season seven. They started this thing, and it was just this kind of random project they were going to do where they went every single episode of Game of Thrones, and that was its own podcast episode, where they would just do this massive deep dive on every episode, explaining history stuff with it, analyzing it, basically just a rewatch Yeah, the whole show. And then it became this massive cultural hit, and it became this huge thing, and now they have a massive following. So then they did... So then it became their own weekly Game of Thrones show, and then when that end, then they did a whole another series with Harry Potter, so because they're big readers Ooh, on that. I love Harry and now Potter. their next project is Star Wars. Um, that sounds incredible. Um, somewhere out there on the internet, I don't know where, but we went movie by movie last year, I think, or maybe we just talked about all the movies for hours and hours and hours. Uh, I'm, I've, I've got a Star Wars rewatch myself coming up soon. I want to put together like a media roundtable of all the local media people that love Star Wars to see what they think. But but we can get that's, that's, yeah. we can get into that later. It is bi week. We can go where we want today. Some Star Wars news today. Um as the 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 Game of Thrones showrunners, D and D, uh Ben Off and Weiss, um, have announced that they are exiting the Star Wars trilogy that they were going to do, which uh a lot of people are celebrating and I just it's a sad point that we have reached when people are celebrating star wars movies essentially getting canceled yeah uh this hard but but i mean look i i i get why they backed out because the situation around them and the situation around star wars is just so damn toxic right now that i understand it but it is kind of sad if you're a part of that toxicity you have gone full dark side recognize that like we live in a golden era of star wars and we can't enjoy it because of how toxic the fan base has become, but 
Yeah. That's neither here nor there. It, it, I wonder if it almost just says more about just like how much their stock in the past two years has fallen. It's incredible. Two years ago, like they were, they could make whatever they wanted. Yeah, Ben Off and Weiss. Yeah, they were going to make that uh, Confederate show, which doesn't yeah. look like it's going to happen. They're, they're going to make the Star Wars movie. I mean, they could do whatever they wanted. And in the span of like seven months, it just plummeted. And, and to be fair, um, the further we get from the last season of Game of Thrones, I don't really care for it. And, and, and you know what? It all is the final episode for me, which sounds sad because. And, and now I'm not someone who thinks that the the, the entire show is majority great, um, but it is a fascinating case study on how the ending can overshadow a lot of good things. And uh, even for me, I liked the last season up until the last episode. I thought it was terrible. But. I like bits and like there are certain episodes I love, and there were certain episodes I'm like, what am I watching? Yeah, There's a bit of both. Yeah, I agree. All right, okay, so let's yeah, get wow. into let's get into LSU Bye football. Week. Though just a little five minutes, just a little five minutes intros. Uh, buy your meats or maybe your special no. meats and sign up for the athletic. Now, um, on this episode, I don't think we're going to talk a lot of Alabama. Uh, we can look forward some. Yeah, I think mainly we'll be looking back at this Auburn game. Um, another big win for LSU as uh, it is their third top 10 win of the year through eight games. Uh, they're the first team in the AP era to win three top 10 matchups in first the first SEC game. team. Uh, oh, first SEC team. Yeah, I had to, t- I had to correct my tweet earlier. Yeah. Well, so it even maybe needs a bit further correction because did you say top 10 matchup or top 10 wins? Because Rivers Huey was adamant about this point. Uh, in that 2014 Mississippi State beat three top 10 teams in their first eight games, but they were not top 10 themselves. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's about. Oh, that's interesting. That it must be matchup then. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, man. Whatever. Point is, it's damn impressive. Okay. And is now, uh, since 2016, Ed Ogeron now has eight top 10 wins, seven and one in the last eight. Um, it's probably even a little sweeter for him that it comes on a weekend when Tom Herman loses to uh, who, who did Texas lose to? Why am I TCU right? loses to TCU. Uh, it looks like the wheels are kind of falling off in Texas. I know injuries have really hurt yeah, them pretty he, badly. The, the injuries matter, but still, man, there's, there's it's no kind way. of crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then and then uh, how did Jimbo and A and M do that? I mean, they won week. this. Week. They won, but whatever. It's been but a down it's year been, for Jimbo. It's been a very down year. So, so like Ed Ogeron is as hot of a commodity as you will find in the coaching world right now. Absolutely. I mean, he, is there? I just don't think there's any precedent for a turnaround success story like this of somebody just bombing that bad, being written off. And, and you're then, talking about all the way back at Ole Miss. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I really can't think of one. I mean, you got like your your Pete Carroll's one people bring up, but even him, he was like seven and nine or like eight and eight as an NFL coach in his seasons. There. Also, in there, difference between bombing in the NFL and also bombing on the true, college yeah. level. But even then, I don't even think Pete Carroll bombed. I just really can you think of any other example like this? It's it's kind of crazy and and. Well, because people don't get second chances normally, right? It's yeah. like it's like uh, in the NFL. Uh, in the NFL, yeah, in the <laughs> yeah NFL, they retread a lot. In the NFL, you eventually can, um, but but I'm but I mean, well, even at head coaches, how many how many head coaches in the NFL could ruin a first opportunity that badly and then still get another one? Like it'd be an interesting list to make. I can't think. Uh, maybe think of some while I'm while I'm talking for yeah, a second. Yeah. But to me. It is all it, it. It's because normally people don't get a second chance after you blow it as hard as he did at Ole Miss, and where that gets interesting is could, depending on where this thing ends up, maybe this becomes a great argument for uh, maybe giving a guy another look. Now the problem with that is, yeah. 
it's always going to be a controversial hire, just like this was. Yeah. I think also Ogeron is a bit interesting because the context of the hire was really specific. It's a really specific scenario. Very, very because specific. Because also, like, it's not like he just got fired from Ole Miss and then LSU hired him and like got another chance right away. No, he had another, what? Near decade of you know another eight years or so. Yeah, he went to the Saints, went to Saints, went back to Tennessee, went to back under uh, Lane Kiffin at USC. I mean, he like that's a lot. He had another interim chance at USC, which is where he really probably figured a lot out. It sounds like so. It's like that's a really, really that's where he put the lessons that he learned back to the test. Were that six and two stretch at USC, six and two stretch interim at LSU. Point being. Very unique. And the greater point being that while it was such a weird process and such a weird hire, it looks today like fate was on LSU's side. Uh, Because, like we said, a lot of specific things had to happen to create that instance where he was the right man for the job. And thankfully it has because the program-wide momentum for LSU right now is fantastic. And not just on the field, which it's obviously better than it's, you know, it's only the fifth time in school history you've gone 8-0. Like, take a second wow. to appreciate that. Yeah. Only the, the fifth country. time that you've gone 8 no, You're number one in the country. The recruiting just gets better and better. You just got a out-of-the-nowhere commitment from the best tight end in 247 history. I mean, the guy looks like he is ready to play today. Oh, yeah. 6'5", 250, Eric Gilbert. So you're going to have Gilbert and Thaddeus Moss. Yes, yeah. and, and we'll talk about that Moss coming up because as Brody points out in his excellent breakdowns, uh, that was a key part of the offensive adjustments that LSU had to make on Saturday. Um, so everything's going well. And here you enter a bye week before Alabama. And the 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 world is your oyster. Except now you have to descend into the literal pits of hell. Have you seen the pictures of there the red LEDs? Yeah, I, mean, I saw it. I saw your tweet. You, do, you, do you not think, like, is it not just so narratively perfect it how is. evil an empire like Alabama looks when they light their stadium Embrace bread at it. night? Yeah, embrace it. I agree. If I'm yeah. him, I'm doing the same thing. It's an intimidation play. Yeah. But, I mean, it looks like a giant, like, it looks like kind of like Snoke's throne room from Jedi. That's, good. That's a actually lot the of, best. Yeah. It's like a lot of black and red. I'm trying to put my finger on it. That's it. Yep. It's, it's, I love it. I mean, for me, for someone who always talks about the pageantry of college football and why that is the best part, like that sort of just on the nose, beat you over the head symbolism is like, mwah, 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 mwah. I love it. Give so, what is LSU in this? Um, the Holy Crusaders oh, God. descending into the depths of hell to slay the demon. See, this is why they are they are the paladins fighting Diablo himself. What do you mean? I don't know why I set you up for this. Nick Saban is Satan. What are you talking about? Who is LSU to you in this? Is Nick Saban the good guy? No, I'm, you know, man, I don't know if there's good or bad, really. You exactly. Know? Yeah, see that? Which is bullshit because if that. you look at Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban, that is the most good versus evil matchup you could ever imagine. That one is. The yeah. story literally writes itself. Uh, LSU's like the guerrilla warfare, like, yeah, hell ups, yeah. Upstart, like, you know, I'm trying to think of the right. Ex- term. Okay. Yeah. And guess what? Who are the upstarts? The upstarts are the antagonists. Nobody watches the movie about the evil empire crushing the uh, crushing the rebellion, right? It's like, <laughs> I mean, look at Star. I mean, Star Wars, right? Is the more realistic example. movie. It was. But 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 fine. Okay. What, what movie are we cheering on? Maybe unless it's about America itself. Like, what movie are we cheering on? The already dominant power crushing out yeah. the village of small folk. I really thought the British Empire was going to beat Gandhi there. I really. 
really did. <laughs> I mean, exactly. it was a real upset, and I wasn't here for it. Exactly. So, so no. I mean, I think it's all it makes it writes itself. LSU's the antagonist here. The upstarts are trying to, you know, they're 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 trying to descend into the literally red depths of hell and get this thing done. But. Um, since we're okay. still like an eight or nine point underdog. <laughs> Since, yeah. Well, uh, I thought it was at six and a half now. A lot of the official lines. I know that you referenced the Jersey sports book, which I think opened at nine and a half. Yes. You and mentioned then, a lot of computer projections around six, right? I've seen like seven, seven and a half most, most okay. places I've seen. Yeah. The, the number that I saw being referenced today was six and a half. I don't okay. know if that's true, but that seems accurate to me. Yeah, I mean, no, it's, it's. You're in Tuscaloosa. Uh, Alabama has kicked LSU's ass recently. Do you know how much, like, when it comes to gambling, do you know how much. The past plays into making these lines. Coaches play into it for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like past coaching history definitely plays in of like you know this guy generally has got this guy's number. Yeah, that definitely. And so twenty nine to zero last season is in LSU is like about as dominant of a statement as you could possibly make. Um, now, obviously, the context of the coaching this year is way different, and the yeah. LSU's better set up than they ever have been since twenty twelve, probably to win this game. Um, Last thing I'll say in the Alabama, I said we weren't going to talk about it, and here we are talking nah, about it, because of course, it's like a... It's a bye week. We literally have free reign. Well, not only that, but the, the LSU-Alabama game this time, it, it's 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 got its own gravitational pull And it's the, at this Think point. about it this way. It's the most different LSU-Alabama game ever, because it is going to be an offensive shootout. Yeah. There's just so many... For, okay. Uh, so this rolls right into my analogy. I got you, man. Uh, Chris, uh, uh, Chris, Scott Ravelay today wrote about how uh, this is one of the rare times for the sequel... sequel Maybe better than the original. Talking about Game of the Century Part 2. Obviously, we saw Part 1 back in 2011. The 9-6 game featured, I think, was it 42 NFL players? 28 on the two defenses? 14 on each defenses? 10 first-round picks in that game? I mean, stupid amount of NFL talent on the 2011 field. I don't think you have that this Saturday. But he mentioned sequels. He started talking about great sequels. First off, is Godfather 2 better than Godfather 1? Yeah, probably. Okay, that's what he said. You like Empire better than New Hope? Yes, 100%. Yeah. See, I'm kind of a New Hope guy, but that's fine. I, I, yeah. I like origin Good stories. Take. Yeah, no respect. Um, I think what he mentioned Return of the King, which, although once again I love Fellowship, I think objectively Return of the King is probably the strongest movie in that series, 11 for 11 at the Oscars. Uh, but the movies that I was thinking of, to me, if you're looking at part one versus part two, I get a very alien to aliens type of vibe when you see alien right ridley scott's alien it's a horror movie it's slow it's high tension it builds uh if you don't like it you might describe it as plotting i I don't want to describe it as plotting because uh I, i i was on the edge of my seat the entire time it's a great horror film that is paced at its own pace right yeah then you go to aliens and all of a sudden i mean you are straight <laughs> 80s action movie james cameron baby james cameron like guns firing off i don't know who bill paxton is in this analogy but <laughs> game over man and then he got sigourney weaver in a freaking mech suit fighting the xenomorph like it's a literal shootout yeah. and so in, in terms of tonal shift I think that is the perfect analogy. If, if you loved Alien, you probably loved that. Did Rab make this analogy, nine, or is this you? Game. No, this is me. Okay, okay, this is me. And, but but this is going to be for all you James Cameron fans out there. This is your Aliens. It's going to be bigger, more bombastic. I don't know if I'm necessarily going to like it as much, uh, but but if it but but I think it will appeal to the majority of people the same way that I think. I think a majority like Aliens better than Alien. I don't, but anyway, you don't. But that's not the point. I would like to say I mock a lot of your analogies. That was a good one. That Thank was you. a that was a well done analogy. I think Thank that you. works. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited to see what James Cameron has planned for uh, LSU Alabama. Yeah, Joe Brady versus Nick Saban. Uh-huh. Then Sarkeesian versus Aranda again. Last time Aranda did pretty well against Sarkeesian, didn't he? He did. Yeah. He did. Um, but uh, obviously with LSU's offense being completely ineffectual, it was uh, no go. And then, look, you got the wide receiving cores going toe-to-toe, which... Yeah, we'll I mean, dive into that. It's Heisman. I'm, I'm about to go two. down a rabbit hole of getting into this game, so maybe we should wait. But. It's Heisman one and two versus wide receiving cores. It's going to be massive. Um, so okay, yeah, we have plenty of time to preview it. So before we go there, let's look back at this LSU Auburn game. Another top ten win, and one in which was by far the most mistake filled uh, LSU game. Um, I'm thinking about using your article. 10 takeaways from LSU's workmen like winning against Auburn as a backbone. But before we do, uh, what's your kind of general thoughts on or general takeaways from from the win? Well, um, I think I'm at a point now, and to be clear, Bo Nix is not very good. So like it's, but I think my main takeaways are, all right, this defense is actually pretty good. I mean, regardless of like the Bo Nix stuff, they shut down the run game aside from two plays. So that, that I think that jumps out that, all right, as much as we criticize this defense, they figured some things out. Then I go to, I think Joe Burrow, this was almost one of his more convincing games. Yeah. Because it was the probably, the, I would say, arguably the first game where stuff was just flat out going wrong. And he, I, he his numbers aren't God. He wasn't airing it out, but he did a, he made some really good decisions, in my opinion. Made a lot of broken plays. I get, So I think that was one of my top Joe Burrow games. And then as I wrote Saturday night, I think this was the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire finally kind of shutting people up about, oh, he's not a featured back. We've been annoying about that all season, but I think that's my biggest biggest take yeah we let's be clear we've been on the right side of history when it comes to Clyde uh, or I guess I should have said we've been on the right Clyde of history nice this entire podcast um and it feels good to be validated in such a big game uh all right so let's start and, and real quick on Burrow after he took that hit his navigating of the pocket for the rest of that drive was unreal yeah it was tweeted out it's like I, it should be impossible to be more impressed with him but his ability to to work the pocket while keeping his eyes downfield and and really just engineer that touchdown drive um, kind of had my jaw on the floor, quite frankly. Uh, okay, so let's you, let's use your article as the backbone for this conversation. Um, so this is on the athletic.com, 10 takeaways from LSU's workmanlike win against Auburn. What a title. What a title. Just an incredible title. Number one, <laughs> Auburn showed a different defense. LSU adjusted. And, yes, and this is fascinating. I talked to uh, Jimmy Burrow, Joe's father, about this this morning, yeah. and, and he was saying how he immediately saw it. So Auburn came out in a 3-1-7. Seven. Yep. Seven defensive – there's nickel, which is five defensive backs. There's dime, which is six defensive backs. Is there a term for seven defensive backs? Hmm. Not we can come up with a cool one. We can come. Yeah, up. it can't be quarters. Though. That's already its own we're, coverage. Hey, yeah, we're gonna send that out to the people. If you guys have anything cool, send it our way. I bet they. Ha- I bet if we ask Kevin Steele, he'd have a great name for it. Yeah, but but either way, seven defensive backs so, letting you know very clearly what Kevin Steele was prioritizing. Which I was. I think we've known since even as far back as Northwestern State, in my opinion, that. The only times you've ever seen like Joe get a little tripped up or this offense kind of not stall but kind of look a little less smooth, I guess is the best way to put it, is when you've seen Northwestern State do uh, drop, you know, basically drop eight guys into coverage and go three man rush, or when you've seen, 
I think we've seen quite a few teams try doing that. Utah State tried it. Utah State, I feel like, is <laughs> yeah, the Utah game State. that maybe had the most success with it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah they forced a lot of third downs with it. Yeah. yeah. I, and I think, but the, the key thing to point out with all those other teams is, if they if those teams did it, LSU could just easily adjust and just you know beat them on the beat them down low, run the ball, no problem, right? They also could pass <laughs> protect a bit better against easily. those teams. That's what I was going to get yes. at. Yeah, is that so? All, so the point is, like, we know if there's any way you're going to trip them up, I think it's just commit bodies to cover. Just the only chance. But the only team that could actually pull it off and actually like truly be effective is probably Auburn. And we thought Florida might. We thought Florida might do something pretty similar, which is a straight four-man rush and commit all these bodies. Yeah. And, and and I think Grenard going down probably it was a big impact on how much they could do it and whatnot. But overall, LSU thrived against it. But Auburn doing it is a different animal because they have three interior linemen, or I guess some of Davidson's more of an edge guy, but they have a front three, front four that can 100% control the run game with just those bodies. And yes, we just that's the important part, with just those bodies. That is not, like, I, Alabama can't do that. You know, no. like, no, no. no other D-line you will face all year. To me, they're the closest to the Clemson D-line of last season. Yes. Maybe in the entire yeah. country. Because even Alabama's Are two D-line, of those yeah. guys first-round first picks? What's that? Are two of those guys considered first-round picks? Derek Brown, 100%, and, Brown. and then you got your, you know, Marlon Davidson's probably going to be... I'm not a. I think he's probably whatever. Yeah, Point being, he's, he's like there. he's like a one through three type of round guy. Yes. So if you have two of those and on the Big line, Cat Bryant's really good. Yeah, and then you've got Big Cat, and then you've got Co. Um, I forget his first name. Nick Co. Is that his first name? Yeah, number three. He's good. He's good. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, anyway. So the point is that we all, we've learned that a lot of teams can have a little bit of success doing that, but Auburn could actually really make an impact, and they did. That first half, you saw it from the very first play of the game. Joe Burrow dropped back. Yeah. Nobody's open. Tried scrambling, scrambling around, sacked, and. And then the run game flat out didn't work, even when they weren't committing many bodies to it that first half. They, I think, we averaged LSU averaged about one point eight yards per carry or something like that that first half. That is crazy. And Auburn really was solving it. They were solving this offense. LSU made some adjustments, which I mean, credit to LSU. But Auburn provided a blueprint, but it's a blueprint that I don't think almost anyone else in the country can actually fit with exactly right because yeah. that that's 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 my same pet peeve with clemson laid out the blueprint for beating <laughs> yeah. alabama no you've been, okay. you've been on that yeah. all year so yeah. it's to have three first round picks great people Excellent. should try that it's no uh, one's talking about yeah it. so if you get uh Derek brown big cat bryant and marlon davison you too will have a good chance of stopping <laughs> this lsu offense uh, I, I did ask coach o this morning which i thought was pretty funny to hear him confirm it but he said he's never seen that before, where this late in the season, a coach just straight up comes out with a defense that they have not put onto film once. And so I think the unprecedented nature of that decision from Kevin Steele really drives home how threatening this LSU attack is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, I mean, well, have you have you seen like like sorry. we're we're no no we're fine. I'm saying, but like we're eight games in, dude. Right? I mean, yeah. we're we're like deep. You shouldn't. It's Fans are always like, well, you know, what secret plays do you have or what secret is this? Normally, you don't have secret no. things. Like, you are who you are, and that's what you do. And, yeah, you got a gadget play here or there. Like, you got a single trick play. You don't have trick formations. No. Okay, or, like, yeah, yeah. like, and, yeah, maybe you'll change personnel groupings to take it by surprise week to week. But this is pretty wild. This is a completely new defense. And it's I don't think, like, Kevin Steele was sitting on this either. I think this was, like, I think this, are, this is what we have to do to play LSU. Yes. That's yes, exactly. Yeah. Like, it was specifically yeah. tailor-made for the matchup. And credit Kevin Steele. Um, I guess I've always never maybe respected him enough because his year at LSU was, say, down year defensively. But... Credit him because, like, yeah. like as you said, this was um, it was as good of a plan as anybody has had. 
and I stopped this LSU offense. And yeah, credit to him again because I think there's kind of been a perception change the last three weeks. I think going to the Florida game, the conversation was whole nationally. It was Florida's the best defense in the country. And Florida's defense is still really good. I'm not saying it isn't. But I think after this game, suddenly, and people even were, some people who were really smart were saying Auburn's defense still might be better than Florida's before yeah. that game. And I think now, three weeks later, I think the consensus is more Auburn might have the best defense in all of college football. Yeah, they tackle well. Um, secondary performed a bit better than I would have thought. Yeah, they were locking for, up some guys. For yeah. what the uh, for what the kind of thought process on them was. So um, it was a good job by the Auburn. You know what they did? They played great situational football. A lot of people are asking me, well, how can you gain that many yards only scored 23 points? Um, it's because, yeah, they gave up a lot in the middle of the field, but, you know, between the 30s, but when they had to have it, your third and ones, fourth and ones, they did a really good job of making the plays in those situations, and they forced LSU into a ton of tough decision spots. Yeah. Like, every time you got second and one, it was weird. You became a bit... Concerned, she's like, "Oh, if you only could have fallen forward one more yard, then you wouldn't have to deal with this." So, so Auburn played great situational football. That's how you end up with twenty three points on over five hundred yards of offense. So, um, so th- so that is number one on the ten takeaways. Uh, Auburn showed a different defense. Else, you adjusted. I guess you're talking about the latter part. Um, yeah. We said it going into the game. As a fan, I think you could have more confidence now than ever before that if they do hit you with something that's unexpected that they would be able to adjust accordingly and my god was there a better example of that than what you witnessed first half to second half this game yeah i'm, I'm gonna ask you because i'm not a line expert or like a running play expert or anything like that i mean it seemed like what else he was doing to really because when they went up the middle they were just they were stuffed but it seemed like they were running kind of backside runs with clyde yeah and you know, Thaddeus Moss was sealing a lot of those edges. I guess, like, describe what exactly they were doing because um, they did start going because they don't normally do that, right? No, yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, I, I, this, this LSU running game this year is, uh, is a bit interesting. You know, it's, I guess, it's tough to discern, and and I haven't rewatched the entire game yet, so that's on me. Um, Thanks, T. Bob. I know, I know, bad, bad podcasting. Uh, but it, but it is tough to discern. In a zone read scheme, how much of that is by design okay, and how much yeah. of that is giving Clyde leeway to just read the situation? Because if Auburn's only got three down linemen, that's like by its nature a condensed formation, right? Like, like, like if, if they're lined up on the tackles like they were. And so, uh, your backside kind of just by the scheme would open up. So was it planned to go backside? Did he cut it backside? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. Maybe after I finish you watch, I'll have more of a more of an opinion on that. But to me, the greater point is that if you're only going to play with five in the box, holes are going to be open in a zone running scheme. Yeah. And uh, you saw that in that second half. And you mentioned Thad Moss. He was critical in the adjustments. Because um, as you point out, when the pass rush was getting there, uh, he was a safety valve, avoiding sacks, making tough catches too. Yeah. Like yeah. guys draped on him making tough catches, moving the chains, moving the ball, creating positive plays, and then his his run blocking and, and help on pass blocking continues to be spectacular. He was the key one of those six guys up front, right? I, yeah. mean, I, I think they all had a relatively solid second half. Because he, he was going up against Marlon Davidson, who I, I asked him about going up against him, and he like laughed, and he's like, he's got 40 pounds on me. It was yeah. kind of brutal. But he sealed a lot of those edges with Marlon Davidson. It was kind of the key to... Setting up that all that massive touchdown drive with Clyde edwards helaire and that's one of the things about sealing those edges, especially on the backside, is you know you throw your head front side because you're trying to reach block him, and a D lineman's taught 
to read, and this is why zone running is so effective, yada, yada, but yeah. a D-line is tough to read your head, right? So if your head goes front side, the D-line is trying to fight across your face. Well, then that works in your favor. If you want him to go that direction, you just let him across your face, and then he can't get back. And so, you know, it's all leverage game. That's how someone 40 pounds lighter can be successful in those type of blocks. Um, all right, so LSU adjusted, top notch on Innsmaker, top notch on Brady, just the whole offense. What, what, how many rushing yards did they have the first half? I want to say like 27. Yeah, and then what did Clyde go for second half? Like 120? I think, I think he, he went for about 120 second half. The whole team went 158 in the second half. Burrow had some really nice runs Burrow as well. With sacks adjusted, like 47 rushing yards. Yeah, no, that's the thing. You can't just go Clyde because Joe Burrow was crucial in the run game. A lot of them were scrambles, but some of them were design runs. That touchdown was... The draw was a great call. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so I think... Uh, Tyron Davis-Price had one or two really good drives, and he's kind of made for these kind of games to be kind of a physical SEC guy. You can go up against Auburn's front and get forward momentum. Yeah, I mean, the running game figured a lot out. And and also, I remember Bruce Feldman said this recently because, you know, he's as tied in with Ed Ogeron as anybody. When he was talking about Joe Brady, the number one thing Ed Ogeron told him was, he's like, this guy just has answers for everything. You know, anything you throw at him, he can adjust and have an answer. And I think, you know, the first six games, you really didn't have to see him ever do that. Because things the, went the, smoothly. The, this was uh, we called last week. We called LSU's offense the amorphous blob because they can kind of yeah. adapt to whatever the situation. They can adapt tempos. They can adapt styles. And um, well, this was I think the the height of that. Uh, th- this was their best job of that yet. Uh, one more thing on Clyde. How about that spin move? That oh, double it was like juke, a triple NCAA. move. Yeah. yeah, I mean, first off, you shouldn't have enough time to do that move. That's. That's the spread right there True. is that you have the room to a do a triple yeah. move. But, man, he broke old boy down. That I was mean, disgusting. His percentage in those one-on-ones, I mean, because there's broken tackle percentages that SEC StatCat does. That's really good. It's yeah. really, but I, I, I like that SEC StatCat. <laughs> they do really good I stuff. I just discovered them. Me too, yeah. they are. Um, I think Cody Worsham's the one who pointed us all out to it, and it's really good. Follow them there. It's at... SEC stat cat. Really good. But I would love to see if there's like some advanced stuff that can track just flat out, you know, one on one situation with a lot like a defender, what his percentage is. Because off the top of my head, man, I can't think of any that he's lost. No. And that in just that open field. And that's always going to be advantage offensive player. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, it's pretty ridiculous his success rate on this. Yeah. And, and this one was just the flashiest of all of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Point number two on the 10 takeaways. And LSU, this is my big thing, this number two here. Uh, this is LSU's. My biggest uh, takeaway. Okay. Shut the. F- I'm just kidding. Um, LSU's run defense is for real. Yeah. So take it away. I just think, I mean, it's it's they've been the best statistical run defense in the SEC. Yep. All season, I guess they're not anymore because Auburn had some good yardage on a few runs. But they have been number one. But I didn't actually think LSU's run defense was number one. Because I think Auburn's was probably better, you know. Like statistics can be misleading. They hadn't played a great rushing team. <laughs> exactly, they placed a lot of really good passing spread teams. They had not faced an efficient run game. And by the way, I still think Auburn's is probably the best. But LSU's, I mean, this is an Auburn team that led the SEC in yards per carry. This is a real, even aside from the fact that Booby Whitlow was hurt. I mean, this was just this offensive line's fantastic at run blocking. They're like top ten in every single kind of success rate, opportunity rate metric of running the ball. They're a really good run game, despite how bad Bo Nix is a passing. Yeah. And LSU just flat out took the run out of the game. I mean, yes, 
They gave up one, uh, two massive runs that combined for 111 yards. That is a big deal. But from a success rate point of view, I have Bill Connolly's uh, advanced box stat. Because I think you have to judge a running game by down by down. not And give um, give the people a refresher on what success rate is success- in case they don't know. And yeah, I mean, success rate is basically how often on a given run do you get the yardage you're supposed to get. So first down, you're supposed to get halfway to the goal. To, to, you're halfway to the first down. Mm-hmm. Second down, you're supposed to get, I believe, within three yards. And then third down, you're supposed to obviously convert. Yeah. And and Auburn was 30% success rate on running plays. Wow. I mean, I think aside from the two big runs, which were kind of just screw-ups, honestly, like one of them, Jacoby yeah, Stevens. Mi- the mis- safety, assignments. Jacoby Stevens just ran into the exact wrong gap on one on the one uh, in the second half. If you take those out. Which, real quick on that play, because it serves to be highlights. Is that the Grant Delpit tackle you're talking about? Yes, the, yes. The, so, yeah, that unit to had a high-effort play. Um, it looked like Auburn housed that thing. Yeah, uh, would have been about a seventy-five yard touchdown. Delpit out of position, redirects. I mean, your your all American, all star, top five pick, given full out effort, and and I love um, I love situations that uh, prove some of the old football cliches to be true. And game of inches is one that you're always talking about. But look at how a play that spanned the entire length of the field, right? Yeah. A play where Grant Delbert probably ran about 90 yards. Uh, you know, a little quick math dictates that's <laughs> 270 feet. Nice. Quicker math dictates that's hundreds of inches. Um, I wasn't going to try to do that. Yeah. But smart, point, smart. Point, point being, though, right, all of that, right, the speed, the physics, everything, and it came down to Delpit getting just enough of a feeling and a yeah. threat to make that footstep out of bounds. That... The margins really are fantastic when you think about it. And so, shout out to Grant Delbert. It ends up saving four points. And I'm not a big, like, oh, and they won by three. So, like, they would have lost if you hadn't yeah. made that play. No, me neither. That's but... stupid. That is bad logic. But if four points are super impactful <laughs> yeah, in yeah. a close SEC game. Just don't be the guy that's like, well, everything else would have played Delpit out exactly the, the same. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. yeah, so shout out to Grant Delbert. <laughs> and, but, but that point is... That play was an outlier. Yes, uh, and when you take that out, when you the take it out, I think the average like two point eight yards per carry. And this is where I go to how good the front seven has looked these past few weeks. Because I mean, they they were injured for so much of the season, so that front seven looked a little iffy. No, no, Caleb on chase on for a while. No, Lawrence. No, Logan. Michael Divinity was out for a while. Now all of a sudden, you and we're not going to beat the dead horse. We've done this a lot, but. You know, now all of a sudden, Neil Farrell and Braden Fajoko are your backup ends, and they look like starters. Justin Thomas, who was out, and we're going to ask Ed about that today. Uh, Justin Thomas, you know, is your, is your best third down guy. Now, you know, then you got Apu Ike is a really good nose tackle who barely plays because Tyler Shelvin, who, by the way, I, mean, I think Derek Stingley's been the best player on this defense this season. I don't think it's crazy to say Tyler Shelvin's been the second best player on this defense yeah, this season. No, not and crazy. I, and a lot of guys man. have played well, too. I want to be clear on that. Like, I mean, you got your. Shelvin's getting better. And better. He is and driving better. guys three yards back and setting up, you know, your your Calevons and your Delpits. The highlight up. that you linked in the article is the most gaudy example of it. I mean, and Mississippi he, State, they tried triple team. I think yeah. Auburn tried a few times. Oh, no, I've, I've just, just rewatching, I've rewatched part of the game and. It's every time, dude. If you double Shelvin, you don't get off. Like, you don't get off. Like, yeah. he frees up all the linebackers. He's doing the dirty work. Fogo had some nice moments. They all had nice moments. But yes, Tyler Shelvin, to your point, and he tweeted this. He's He tweeted this yeah, week, triple, like, yeah. well, no, he tweeted the triple team. This week, he tweeted, like, he was like, I can feel myself becoming more and more dominant each game. Jeez. Like, he just, he, he is he is in it. He is in the zone. He's continued to improve. All of that potential that it was 
it was real questionable whether it ever was going to be realized for a while there. No, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I think I'd become cynical enough where I had written him off as well. And um, we thought that going into August, when Ed was more Ed Ojan was more implying that Apu Aiko would be the starter. Yes, yeah, that's right. Here it is. So he said uh, October twenty seventh. He tweeted, "It's like every game, I feel myself getting more dominant. Give them hell up front." So. Yeah, let's go, Sheldon. No, so yeah, I mean, all of a sudden, this front seven, the run game, and I, I, I mean, I'd say basically the middle nine is the best way to put it, right? Because Delpit and Stevens, they're they're critical in the run game, and, and their ability to front six inter- interchangeably use, um, yeah, just say the nine. I mean, the, the two cornerbacks, you do you, you just guard like Fulton and yeah. Singley, you do, and then you. also uh, Vincent. So really, Vincent played the, better. Oh yeah, Vincent, this game, Vincent's been yeah. playing really well. I think I'm coming yeah. around on the idea that I think a lot of. Vincent's errors that we see are a little more formation based, a little more you scheme know, based. Yeah, like a lot of times he's he's they have him lined up outside to take away the outside routes. Then he's chasing guys on the inside, and that's not really on him. Yeah, I think you're seeing a lot it's of a stuff point. like that. But um, but yeah, so so outside of three DBs, though, everybody else has been great in run defense, and you saw the continued rise of the Delpit Stevens combo. You can just right. use them in so many damn ways, dude. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and remember what we said. And I guess again, Alabama will be the best test because again, you're not really worried about Bo Nix beating you on some of those. But once again, you're starting to see them kind of interchange a bit. You know, we were because we were saying last week. I wonder if that's just bad quarterbacks or if that's something they yeah. really are moving toward and they still kind of just interchange a lot you still see Stevens back as the main guy a lot so they really are figuring out a rhythm there and Jacoby Stevens been SEC defensive player of the week two two weeks in a row yeah. he literally is it. an extra linebacker down there so yeah shout out to him too because he's another guy you wondered if he would ever put it together point number three on the 10 takeaways the freshman mistake and quick recovery of Derek Stingley Jr. I mean there's not even too much we have to say about this. It was just a dumb error on the punt return. You know, that was just yep. a, you know, also it looked like his knee was down, but that's not the point. He still did make a mistake, tried to make too much. I, 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 as far as the actual call, um, it doesn't even matter. But. It, it doesn't matter, but just whatever, just to offer an opinion on it. He's I do good. think that that is one of those calls where whichever way it's called in the field, it's going to stand. Because there was gray area there. Yeah. Like, the ball was bobbling a little bit. Was it bobbling when his knee down? Not. So, like, if they called him down, it would have been down. If they called it a fumble, it was going to stay a fumble. That's just. My opinion. No, I think that's a good. That's a good point. And with the, I mean, so freshman air stuff happens. Kellen Mond's knee. If look, if Derek Kellen Mond, <laughs> wow, you were doing down, so good. Derek Stingley's you were doing knee was so down. good. Damn it. You were being like you were being rational and smart, and then you just snapped. Um, I did see that a lot on Twitter, though. A lot of people are calling back to that. But which shows that I mean, so Derek Stingley two drives later gets attacked downfield against Seth Williams, who. Top ten receiver and you know one of the better downfield yes. receivers in the country. Average about twenty. I think yards at this point, I think coming he, into this, I game. choose him over Colin Johnson right now. The way he's looked this season, Mike Detillier, um specifically highlighted Seth Williams. He made some great catches uh, too. before the game as like one of the main NFL guys to watch. Yeah, and by the way, as good as Stingley and Fulton played on him, he did make two or three catches on him where you're just like, how? But anyway, so they try Stingley downfield. Terrible throw by Nick's, but still try Stingley downfield. And I talked to one LSU position coach after the game, and we're just kind of talking. And he and he's like, by the way. And this is not a cornerback coach. This is just somebody who has no fight. And he's like, that Derek Stingley interception, he's like, I'm not exaggerating. That was the most impressive interception I've ever seen. The way he turned he, he yeah. turned his body, readjusted, reset, found the ball, and still made a ridiculously acrobatic catch. I mean, the guy was saying, he's like, hey, I was around for Patrick Peterson. 
Patrick Peterson doesn't have the ball skills that Derek Stingley well, has. Well, and, that, and that's been the most amazing part of Derek Stingley since day one are the ball skills. Yeah. Uh, I still think back to Colin Johnson, him gripping Colin Johnson's hand while running full speed to somehow stop him from catching it. And, maybe his most impressive play. Yeah. And, then, and then as you pointed out here, and, and maybe this is something that it's hard to appreciate unless you've just been playing catch and you've tried to do this, but okay, go run and try to catch a pass over your shoulder. But in the when the ball's in the air, turn your have to turn your head to the other shoulder, right? Like lose sight of the ball and then retrack it in the air. Ask any defensive back. That's that's now do that on an NFL wide receiver running full speed at the goal line at an uber important point in the game where it looks like Auburn's about to tack on a field goal right before the end of the first half and. You did what Derek Stingley just did. It's wild. And, he, and on top of he all of that, easy. he out-jumped Seth Williams yeah. for a, a ball in the air. Like, he timed it way better. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm watching the replay in your article Williams right now. Williams jumped early, yeah. Same here. Williams jumped early. Stingley, it's just, it is, if you're and a cornerback, That sets up sexual. something that I think I'm writing about either, it'll either run tonight or tomorrow, but Ed O'Shaughnessy told the CBS broadcast team that the plan is for his. The promise was that oh, his yeah. junior okay. year, Derek Stingley will play receiver as well. Now, okay, so then I'm. I talked to you know Derek Stingley Senior about it yesterday, and I'm, I'm talking to a few other people about it. I love Stingley Senior. <laughs> he's great, and he's a smart guy because he's a former Marina League head coach, and yeah. he, he knows football. And he was saying it's not so. Ed Ogeron from the like the whole recruitment. A lot of schools were doing this. It was we have a bunch of packages. It's not like like we want you to be a receiver. It's we have a bunch of packages yeah. for your son to play some offense. And Derek Singley Senior was like, no, like, I, wait until he's a junior when he has all like when he has cornerback down. He's comfortable. He's got two years of it. Then do it. So we'll see if they actually do it. I, but, think, I think I think I think they're going to. But what's fascinating, and I asked someone, like, why would you not try it? Like, if well, you have Dion, and you got, you're let gonna, it be Dion, and you're going to have the Heisman talk that comes with that because yeah. now he's playing both ways. That's how you win it these days. Add in the punt returning, and I believe he can do it. But one of the things I asked was like, I mean, do you get worried though? I mean, he's going to be a top five pick by his juniors, assuming he plays like he has been lately. Do you get worried about putting him on the field more I and mean, those kind of like exposing him to get injured? And he's like, and he like shot it down to me. He's like, "Are you kidding me? No, like, yeah. no, like you can get hurt on punt return. You can get exactly. hurt on anything. Like you can't play that game." So that, I was just surprised by the adamant. Yeah. That 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 is the thing, man. Um, I hate how precious we become sometimes with injuries in football when it's such an inherent part of the game. Every play has risk. It's like when people were blaming Andy Reid for quarterback sneaking uh, Pat Mahomes, like. What are we talking about here, people? Freaking Breeze and Brady and their brittle old man bones QB sneak all the time. Yeah. Like they they they'll probably turn to dust if they're hitting the wrong way. So yeah, no, I don't. Even though I don't know, Tom Brady looks like stronger than ever somehow. You know what? So does Breeze. <laughs> that thumb looks fine on Sunday. Good thumb. Good thumb. Always said that. Um, number four on the ten takeaways. Joe Burrow Heisman resume builds great work on the Exante Giz on resume. By Actually, the way. I'm gonna. I'll, Shout out to we give him like a shout out every week now, but my editor Jason Starrett does. Hey. I I learned after doing it once that he did it for me, so now I just do it every time. You know, if you hold down the E, that's how you. Well, at least on on a Mac, if you hold down the know. E, that's how you bring up the uh, the uh, various accent marks that you can put on the letter. I didn't know that. Yeah, but yeah, my editor does that. I I'm believe too, that's I'm called too lazy. Good, you know, it's I don't know the name, but I'm too lazy to go do it. Mm-hmm. Shout it's out to Jason Starrett. Great stack guy, great editor. My old man played in Atlanta. Um, they put one over the E in A Bear on his name, which is technically correct, but there was no need for it in Louisiana. Um, anyway, continue. Joe Burrow's Heisman resume. Books. Oh no, you can go too. I mean, 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, he's done it with the stats. You know he's one of the top passers in college football. You know he can air it out. You know he can make big plays. He can win a shootout with Texas. He's done that. But there are different pieces of this, right? Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden you look at it and say, not just is he this aired out superstar quarterback that, you know, Kyler Murray was last year and Tuba was last year. Now all of a sudden you have three top ten wins. You, you've won a shootout with Texas. You've won, you know, you, you've pretty much rolled over a great pass rush in Florida. Yep. And now you have this kind of ugly, they stop you. Punchy. What you yeah, what do you do kind of game. And first off, he was 32 of 42 for 321 yards. Those aren't bad stats. But it, he wasn't, you know, didn't have like highlight throws, anything like that. It was well, a little like reserved. the red zone, like we said, you know, they get bogged down in the red zone yeah. and such. But he made the right decision every time. I think that first half he deserves a ton of credit because it won't show up, on, show up on a stat sheet. But. I mean, they were getting pressure that first half, and nobody was open, which we already said about the defense. That, But he deserves credit for how much he scrambled around on some of those and, and then hit a Thad Moss or a Clyde Edwards-Lair on a check down for only six or seven yards. But he made plays that, would, play. that could have been turnovers or could have been fumbles any other time. Uh, go watch, everybody. So uh, the big hit gets all the attention, and rightfully so. That was a third down, wasn't it, when he scrambled yes. and ran for that big first down? Zone zone. That's a great just like – moment in in and of itself but go watch the drive after that hit i mean it's that same drive but watch the rest of the drive uh his as birdie was just alluding to his ability to navigate the pocket and with with heavy pressure in his face while keeping his eyes downfield making the right decision and then throwing it where it needed to be thrown it was um, it was unreal. It was very NFL-like. And when it comes to the NFL, I had a buddy the other day, and this is somebody who I think is very football smart, and um, I love having conversations with. Uh, but he was like, man, where's all this Burrow, like, number one in the NFL talking coming from? Like, it's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? Like, is he, can he really make the throws? And I was like, I mean, well, yes, he can. But besides that, there is no more overrated part of quarterback play than arm strength. Yes. Quarterback play is decision-making inaccuracy and Joe Burrow has has both of those in spades this year and then you throw in the intangibles pocket presence footwork et cetera, et cetera, and you see why he's now being talked to like uh in in the manner that he is his NFL stock is shooting through the roof right now yeah uh, I mean it, it's, so. it's him or Tua right now as the top quarterback and you never yeah. know you know Chase Young's probably the best player in this class but oh Chase but, Young <laughs> Which, Five by the way, TFL's four sacks and two forced fumbles oh, he's in a massive unfair. game. <laughs> and I'll actually want to get to that in a second, so don't really forget. But and but the one thing I'm going to say is, and you know how I hate diving into this corny stuff, but it's like this thing. It's almost every week I bring it up, and I'm like fighting against it. But it's just true. Joe Burrow has that ability. Like that hit is the best example. The UCF game is a great example. Him beating his chest, saying "This is my effing house against Georgia" is an yep. example where he can just have these moments where he gets laid out like that, hops up, he popped up like a salute. And wave the first down right after at midfield, yep. and just said, "I like try again." Or uh, the Vanderbilt game. Remember when he got hit outside? He got hit out. Yes. And remember, we were wondering what he said. I heard. I'm pretty sure he said. I was told he said, "Like I'm going to throw for 400 yards on you." <laughs> That's apparently that is what he said. And then he did. Hey, hey, bitch. <laughs> yeah, and he keeps throwing so for 400. There's just something about that kind of personality. <laughs> one in terms of just what makes him great, but also it 100 percent has an impact on the on the stadium, yeah, on the team, on on Tiger Stadium, on his teammates rally around it, and it just changes the the chemistry of this team. It's like you know, I, were, I think we we're talking about movies one day about how like Brad Pitt has the ability when he's in a shot, yeah, he just changes the chemistry of a scene. It might be a boring scene, but he makes it interesting. It's kind of how Joe Burrow is a quarterback with this team. Mm, he's just got that <laughs> magnetic pull, you know, in the Wheel of Time series. 
I believe they call that Taverin, where in the Wheel of Ooh. Time series, the um, I guess all of time, right? The space time continuum. They, they describe it almost like a giant pattern, right? Okay. And the weave will the we will the wheel weaves as the wheel wills, right? But there are. Uh, certain people who are so strong that the pattern kind of bends around Ooh. them or is affected by them. They have very strong Tavern. Well, Joe Burrow like has very strong Tavern, almost a, a gravitational pull of sorts. Um, <laughs> and then I want to, so I want to use this to jump into the Heisman conversation because it is a really, we don't even have to dive in. I just want to yeah, say, yeah, come on. Because right now we're having a movement where Chase Young is getting a lot of first place votes. Yeah. Which, or, I should say in our athletic straw poll, he's getting a lot of first place votes. He's got ten now. He's second in the Heisman rankings behind. Can't trust big media, y'all. We're always telling you. I mean, the media, Jesus Christ. But we, hey, pretty much the entire athletic staff, a large portion of us, probably have Heisman votes. So, yeah. Uh, so it's, it's good. It is a good. It's like it is a good relatively poll. good. Yeah, it's like a good. Yeah, indicator. And I love it. I think Joe Burrow right now deserves to be the front runner, and he is. Like when, but he's got a heavy lead right now. But I love that Chase Young is getting these votes. One because. He's just that good. But two, I love, and Andy Staples said this on his podcast, and I'm stealing this, but he's so right, and pointed out to me, that I feel like year by year, the college football landscape is getting a little more savvy about what value means on a football field, and that it isn't just quarterback, and you know that doesn't always have to be the Heisman winner, and it, that's not always, it's not just who gets the, the catch. You feel like it's already moving that way? We're not there like, yet, no. I feel but, like it's been moving the opposite way, where I, it's just been more and more quarterbacks. See, I don't mean just the Heisman conversation. Okay. I mean an overall, I think, football sensibility of realizing an edge rusher is the second most valuable person on a football field. Yeah. You know, like I think people are learning the value of a nose tackle more than they might have 30 years ago. I just think they're really getting it. So I love that the football media, at least, landscape is understanding Chase Young might deserve it. You know, like he might, his edge rushing for Ohio State might be more important than some quarterback, you know, winning it. I love that. I'm not, my vote would be Joe Burrow right now. Yeah. But say Joe Burrow struggles against Bama and then Tua isn't quite himself and he kind of cancel each other out. I'd be fine giving my vote to Chase Young. I think I would. And I think I think in a vacuum, um, I would applaud this because I think in recent years, especially the Heisman has simply become the quarterback with the most gaudy stats and a nice resume to go along with it. And then maybe they throw in a running back every now and then. Um, was Tyron the last defensive player to go? I believe so. Um, so I mean, right. So that that shows you right. When there. When year was Manta Teo? Uh, yeah, he would have been after. Uh, Teo would have been after. I think did he go? He went to he went yeah. to New York. Oh, yeah, I okay. think it was him or Manziel. It was like a, it was actually close. Okay, well there you go. So um, I, I feel like we've I, I feel like they've moved farther and farther. Than that. So yes, I am down for that award to be open to more people as a LSU uh, fanboy. If I just like lean into my fanness, I would be a little salty if like this was the year when they suddenly decided that uh, <laughs> defensive ends matter again. Yeah, I don't I don't think like Chase Young's gonna supplant. Is it supplant, surplant? Well, look, and the bottom line with Burrow is, like, if he goes and dominates Alabama and they win yeah. in the playoff, like, then whatever. Then he'll get Joe Burrow deserves it right it, now, yeah. but I just love that it's a conversation. That's all I, I agree, say. and I would hope it would become more of a consistent conversation. Because like, Chase no. Young is great, but there are guys like that every year that are having these massive impacts defensively that don't always get the... Uh, Dominican Sue is one of the best love. ones ever. I think Dominican Sue is the best example ever. Yeah. And he, he's I would, unreal. I kind of think he deserved it that year. Um... Just a little side note here. How about uh, Nick Bosa pulling out Ooh. of school last year, not doing Ooh, camp or whatever, like doing all this stuff, and now just absolutely kicking ass? Like, if, if you want to go down the dark future of, like, does 
you know, how much does college football actually matter? Nick Nick Bose is a great example of how badass Which, you can be. <laughs> it's true. I mean, he might be the best defensive lineman of football at this exact second. He's so crazy right now. And, all right, all right. I, Which I, is well, funny because that's going to tie in with Derek Stingley conversation in two years. Yeah. Now, the answer he gave me about the receiver thing probably tells you how they feel, and they would never do that. Yeah, they want a ball. <laughs> but but you never know. Derek I mean, Stingley right? is one of the best examples ever because he's like a clowny. He's like a, a Bosa yeah. where you know at 18 years old he could go right now and be a first-round pick. Yeah. And 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 to be fair, Bosa didn't do it until he caught an injury, right? So yes. yeah, let's not throw Bosa under the bus. Here. So yeah. so that would be that would be interesting to see going forward. But whatever, I, I, that just came out of nowhere. All right, uh, number five on the list, uh, it was LSU's most error-filled game, and and yeah, this is uh, this was obvious. Uh, penalties, least penalized team coming in. They had a ton of penalties, way too many penalties in this game. Just a gross game all around. I mean, Auburn still even had more penalties than did LSU. Yeah, yeah that's worth mentioning because we, we talked about all the ways LSU shut down Auburn, but th- those Auburn penalties and bad snaps did put a lot. Yeah. Of, yeah. Now, uh, they had like five false starts, didn't they? Yeah. That uh, You got to give credit to the crowd there, and you have okay. to give credit to the threat Touché, of LSU's pass rush. That, that's all I would say, just yeah. because those are crowd-induced penalties, and they're also induced by a guy fearing the guy that he's going up against because he's a little jumpy, and so you saw that. Um, still a sloppy game, though, overall from both sides. Uh, special teams was the only portion of this game that was objectively bad for LSU, yeah. in my opinion. They were terrible. Even like Von Roseburg's punts were great. There were a terrible. few good ones, but there were a few weird punts. I mean, like three punts under 35 yards. Now, obviously, the pooch wasn't his fault. That was a perfect punt, okay. but then the coverage team screws it up, and that becomes like a net like 20-something yard <laughs> punt when it's all said and done. Then you got then yeah, rough on Roseburg day. Now you were thinking back because he had that snap that he dropped and messed up that led to the Cade York yep. miss, which it's unfortunate for Cade York because that's just going to build the idea. That at least York hit his he hit his field goal at least. Yeah. So, which cause that that, that missed extra point wasn't York's fault. So no. That is a bummer, but that is true. That should be said. But should be said. That's our new motto. Because um, <sighs> I say it a lot. That's, I'm making fun of myself. Maybe. Yeah. Well, look, we're just here to fucking help the people. That's be our smart, pod- Wait, okay? let's make that our new podcast name. Should, should be, be said. said. Oh, that, that actually might be. That it's actually not a might bad be name. Better name. Well, uh, well, okay. We, we'll, we'll think podcast. about it. We'll, th- we'll, we'll think about it. <laughs> anyway, yeah. There's not too much we have to say here. Hashtag just GPP. Um, well, LSU I mean, but, but I do want to point out all the mistakes because it was wide ranging. Uh, Von Rosenberg, like you said, the punts, the hold, the Derek Stingley fumble. Uh, Avery Atkins allowed two kickoffs. What is he thinking? He allowed two <laughs> balls to be returned. I actually didn't even meant, yeah. And uh, and then and then obviously Avery Atkins and Auburn native, maybe a little, little extra juicy, wanted to get in a hit, and he, I mean. You never look. I love Avery Atkins, and everybody loves Avery. And the coaching staff loves Avery Atkins. Um, but the quickest way to piss a coach off is to have the kicker get a unnecessary roughness penalty for hitting someone out of bounds. Yeah, and, Derek, and then Derek <laughs> Dillon had one. Uh, Tyrion Davis Price had a shove. He got penalized for after like his best play of the day. I missed that. I was grabbing a hot dog. Yeah, was like the guy egregious? was doing. It was one of those things where the guy was like standing over him after a tackle. He yeah. hopped up and shoved them and got. Um, so yeah, I mean it was a messy day for LSU. Messy day, especially on special teams. Um, and then Ed Ogeron said he thought the team was too excited in the first half. Yeah, yeah. giving Auburn the short field to score me. That's one thing I talked about before the game. I was like, okay, what's one of the keys? My first key was starting fast because if you looked at Auburn versus Florida, where Florida comes out and gets his eighty-yard touchdown off the bat, and then you look at Auburn versus A and M, where Auburn goes and they get the big touchdown off the bat, like. That kind of set the tone for both those games. And so, well, this game started like the A&M game. Like, this game started as – if you were scripting an upset for Auburn, 
Um, this was like if you were going to write it realistically, this is about how you would have written that. That story. first half was exactly how Auburn wanted to. Go. Yeah. Exactly. And, and Ross Delger said it. I know Justin Ferguson pretty much wrote it. My colleague at the covers Auburn for the Athletic. If Auburn had a half-decent quarterback, they'd probably win this game. Yeah. Which is um, football. I'm not saying, like, that's – I want to be very clear because it becomes a really exhausting argument where, like, that that's credit to LSU. That's football. That's football. You yeah. have to be complete. Like, that is how this works. Yes. I'm not saying, like, man, Auburn got cheated. because No, no, that's on them. But I'm saying, like, if Auburn had a quarterback, I think they win this game. So so here, so here, my problem is when it ties into this game specifically. I, I think, yes, the, the conversation of, I agree with you, if Auburn had a quarterback, they would probably be 8-0 right now. Yes. Like, they would probably be the number one team in the country. But as you said... That's how it works. Yeah. Uh, if Auburn had Cam Newton, yeah, they'd probably win another yeah. national championship. Okay, great. Like, like that is part of building a program. Yeah. If if, uh, if if LSU had like uh, I don't know uh, if LSU had Chase Young, yeah, right. Like, I mean, they would be e- yeah. e- even better, right? So, so I mean, I I get it if you're using it to credit how well built the rest of this Auburn team, which is, is what I'm doing, which yeah. is what you're doing. I agree. My problem is guys like. Uh, and I heard that Moscona said this. I can't say that I heard it said it myself. But when guys sit there and say, like, uh, well, it, when they tied into this game specifically, and then as a criticism point to LSU, like, no. well, if Auburn had a better quarterback, like, uh, Auburn would have won this game. No, like, because that's what you're game planning against. Yes, like, what are like, we talking is, yeah. about? Like, what are these weird hypothetical straw men you're building up to be like, I mean, just look at how good is LSU? If Auburn had a better <laughs> quarterback, like, they would have they won this game. Like, what? Yeah, like, if every team was perfect, they would be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Which it, is, uh, by the way, this is an indictment on Gus Malzahn, not even Bo Nix. Bo Nix is a true freshman playing yeah. the SEC, and in the grand scheme of things, playing quality football. He's a he's a half-decent SEC quarterback in the grand scheme of things. I still think Bo Nix is going to be very good I think he's going to uh, be really good if, if they handle this right, but this could also mess with him. But we talk about that a lot, about how early errors can really mess with the guy's psyche. But Yeah, I mean, you did have, was it Derek Brown or Marlon Davidson kind of getting in some shots after the game where... Marlon Davidson, yeah. Yeah, not specifically on Knicks, but they were like, do y'all feel like you did your job? Or it was something like, do you feel another part of the team let you down? And he gave like a no That comment. was another exhausting post-game. Uh, this whole week's been an argument. Matt Moscone got in a Twitter argument about it, about the whole like, well, did they dominate? Yeah, that defense dominated that, at times. I know you can look at yardage, Wait, but... Wait, are people saying that the... L- oh, they're saying the... Because Aubrey- Davidson said, like we dominated and we let him off the hook. There's some truth to that. Yeah, especially defensive line. I agree. <laughs> and I there's agree. so many LSU people, which I don't blame. You see that quote out of context, you get you're gonna get mad. I get it. But in the context, he was saying like we let him off the hook because yeah, guess what? The game was 13-10. The defense was completely controlling yes. LSU. Yes. Let's not forget, by the way, before that Clyde Edwards-Helaire touchdown drive, LSU had the ball in Auburn territory like three drives in a row and yeah. couldn't score. Like they were dominating. The, the thing is, it, it it goes back to the disconnect. Um, people see five hundred yards, and that's what they hang their hat on. But as we said, Auburn's defense played. Excellent situational football. Yes, when they had to have it, they shut LSU down uh, for the most part. This is my this is our Auburn appreciation podcast. Yeah, that Clyde drive was just something yeah. else, man. Just fucking pound the rock and let's see what happens. Yeah. I mean, no, yeah, that was the. I think that will be Clyde's signature no, it drive. No, it's funny because like that worked perfectly, and then they ran the ball three times in a row on first and goal, and I was like, I don't know if I agree with those calls, but I mean, you know, like. <laughs> Uh, it just works, so I give it the context. It's- a lot of this podcast is also us getting mad at angry fan outbursts. People are really mad about that fourth down call to the screen. They've scored multiple times on that screen this season. Yeah, that's the Saints special, dude. Yeah, I mean, like, that's a great play. You can get mad as you want. It was a good play. Now, now I did they didn't I, get it. Shit a happens. couple people in the 
media room did call it out before it happened, so okay. maybe it's like a little bit of like self scouting where Auburn might have been prepared for it. But okay. um, good. that's a good note. That is a respectable note. I don't. I don't. I don't. I, I didn't hate the call personally. I think play calling's weird. So you just saw him get stuffed three times. People people criticize play calling. Uh, it's it's all results oriented thinking like you rarely judge yes. the call given the context pre-play and then you just judge on whether it worked out or yeah. not which it's the pro- trust the process man sixers three no uh, i mean God. i think that i think that's the thing can't i can't talk nba on here right. i'm in a dark i think spot. that's the thing i get most mad at in this world and i think like 75 percent of the time i spend in my job is not getting mad about things that happen it's getting mad about the people getting mad which <laughs> says a lot about me it really does that i only get angry about angry people yeah. which is just yeah. You know. Well, no, you're you're trying to fight the fight for logic in in in, in a realm in sports losing. talk that is inherently illogical. Because you know me, I don't have any strong takes. Actually, like I don't have any takes where I watch a football game and say like this guy sucks. This... <laughs> I don't really feel that strongly about most things, but I feel really strongly about other people's strong takes. I I see. So I used to be the exact same way, and I still am. But yeah, that's a lot of the show. Well, I find I find it kind of. As I get older, I don't know why I find it more fun to be a little reductive and just be like, "Fire this guy! He sucks." <laughs> it is more fun. Yeah, this guy's awesome. Like uh, Zach Taylor, the Bengals coach after game one, or I think the first half, I was like, "Wow, what a good coach! Great hire for the Bengals." Now I'm like, "He sucks! Fire him!" They got no yeah. wins. Sad. So, uh, oh yeah, I forgot. I, I wouldn't even try to take a Bengals shot. <laughs> oh, I know. I yeah, I'm a well, guess fan what? to our listeners. Now yeah. you can um, cheer for Joe Burrow even more. That's going to be weird for when me because I don't want to root for a guy like I covered. But like, <laughs> if the Bengals take Joe Burrow one or two, it's going to be a weird thing for me. Because yeah. in general, I like Joe Burrow Come as a guy. On. So it's like, am I allowed to root for him? I don't know. You're Just let yourself go. You don't cover the Bengals. You have no journalistic responsibility there. I don't know, man. Um, number six, teams are worried about Jamar Chase now. Yeah, man. Mississippi State was the first I saw do it. And I talked to Jamar Chase about it last Monday. And he was just uh, like, hey, I'm... He's like, yeah, man, they're doubling me now. Safe, you know. And I'm like, is, is there any part of you that kind of takes like pride in that? That like now you're a guy in this massive receiving core that they have to do that with? And yeah. he just looks at me. He's like, nah, man, I hate it. <laughs> like, he was just pissed. He wasn't having it. He's like, no, screw this, man. It makes it way harder. <laughs> so, and then Auburn did it too, which makes his day even more impressive because Jamar Chase, we, we bring up the touchdown drive that, that after Joe Burrow's hit. That would, Jamar Chase made two catches on that drive that were a grown man, a guy draped all over him, just beating your guy one-on-one place yeah. when he finally got some space. So, I mean, I'm at a point now where I still think Justin Jefferson's like the most productive on this team and all that, but Jamar Chase is the biggest problem for an opposing defense, which this double teams are telling you. That's how defense coordinators see it, too. Yes, yes. And, um, and... You didn't see it as much this game, but there was an obvious example of it against Mississippi State where that then opens up things for other people. Uh, the Derek Dillon long touchdown in the back of the end zone. Yeah. The safety flips his hips and is trying to bracket Chase, and he leaves the middle of the field wide open. So shout out to Jamar Chase. That's when you know you are the true, or when you are truly a great uh, player, is when you demand the double team and then you still produce through the double team. Look at what Mike Thomas is doing in the NFL right now. Like when you game plan for the Saints, you know that you're trying to stop the receiving game, and yet he is still getting his consistently. I love talking to Jerry Sullivan about receiver stuff whenever I can. His, his number one line he's been repeating forever is like, "The better you get, the better you have to be," and that's a corny thing. But, oh, that's a great line, but it's just true because it's like, yeah, now you're double team, you gotta be better. Um, number seven, Terrace Marshall is back. Yeah, not too much to say there either, but uh, I think. I think my prediction going into the game was actually, 
I think he's going to be back to being a deep threat, like a vertical guy. He's got that. I don't know if he's going to be back to being Terrace Marshall on cutting, going across the field, stuff like that. I think his foot isn't 100%. And I think you saw that. He had, he had a really nice 20-yard touchdown on a, on a deep ball, but yeah. he wasn't really too involved in the game. Yeah, the, that was the final portion of that uh, excellent drive by Joey B. Uh, number eight, Bo Nix failed to get anything going. He nixed the offense. Uh, I'm There's something there. There's yeah. something there. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you add in the penalties, you add in the bad snaps. He was put in a lot of bad situations, so I want to give him at least like a little devil's advocate love here. But Also, he's a freshman <laughs> trying to throw on Stingley and Fulton. Yeah. Like, damn. But yeah, every time we tried to go outside, which is where this Auburn offense passing game is built, couldn't get anything on Stingley or Fulton except for one or two great Seth Williams catches. You know, uh, people wondered if Auburn might try to go middle of the field more because that's where LSU is usually most vulnerable. Uh, Delpit, Stevens, you know, those guys broke up a lot of tight balls in the middle of the field. Yep. He really couldn't convince it. Had to nice get well. anything going. Yeah, and um, I just don't think that Auburn, right? Football is always a matchup game. Auburn's style just doesn't match up well with LSU's defense, no. I feel like, a lot of times because they want to be on the edge so much. They want to be. Outside the pocket, side to side. And when you have the speed of LSU's defense and the 3-4 that Aranda runs, especially with your hybrids and Delpit and Stevens, it's almost like LSU is particularly well-suited to stopping them. It's kind of the opposite of a Florida where Florida's offensive attack was maybe particularly well-suited to beating LSU where they are weak. So, Knicks was in a tough spot. He was in a really tough spot. Um, Michael DeVinney. Big plays. That was a nice sack. Yeah, that was was two, didn't he? Am I wrong? Did he have two? Am I am I combining the two games? He's definitely had sacks two weeks in a row. I felt like he had two TFLs. Maybe I'm wrong. Either way, Divinity, though, back on the edge, looks like it's paying dividends. Um, I didn't hear Kalevon Chesson's name. He was a really lot. good in run defense, but yeah, didn't get didn't really have any uh you know, pass rushing. But I don't know. I I just think the way we've seen teams attack LSU, I don't think pass rushers have had that many chances. I am surprised though, because this was a game where I thought you you would have maybe heard from him a little more because it's a freshman quarterback. Hold on to the ball a little bit. Yeah, Davini got back there. LSU's twist game is really good. Right yeah, now. that's a good point. Uh, um, but yeah, so I, I like Davini being back on the outside, and that's all loud because of the emergence of Patrick Queen and Jacob Phillips. Uh, they're both great this year. We talked about that this morning. Number nine, LSU has a good running game. How about it? Yeah, we already dove into the pretty much this when we talked about how LSU, you know, adjusted Auburn's defense. But, but I, how many times? <laughs> it, let's give Clyde a little more love. How many times have you touched the ball this game? Thirty-three. For how many yards total? Oh shoot! It was like over one eighty. You wrote about <laughs> it. It was like one hundred thirty yards rushing, fifty something yards yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, receiving. But how about that, Clyde Edwards Elair? He's the, the one goods. of the guys that a lot of people are trying to throw to the bench in the most critical game of the season touched the ball 33 times and got you over six yards every time he touched it. He's the goods. He has officially established himself. And I think, I, in, in our opinion, we think he firmly established it by yes. you know, the Utah State game or something yeah. like that. But, but no, I mean, on this stage, when things got tough, when LSU couldn't score... 13-10 ball game, who'd they go to? They pounded the ball to Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and then there's the great anecdote he told us of, you know, right, you know, at a time when they normally would have rotated backs out, he looked at Tommy Robinson in the huddle and was like, you know, I'm from here, he's from Baton Rouge, this is like, mm, I'm, I'm, I'm not coming out of this game. And I love it. Let him, yeah, I mean, he is the best pass catcher of the running backs, he's the best, the most reliable runner of the running backs, he's the best pass blocker, he's the smartest, I mean, he's the, he's the real deal. And, um, 
now you have how refreshing for LSU fans that you have an offense that is finally willing to take what the defense is giving them. No nine-man boxes, and we're still going to run the ball. We're going to be our identity. None of that bullshit. None of that bullshit. If you're going to put five people in the box, they're going to run on you. Utah State, Florida, Auburn. And guess what? If you try to play a base normal seven-man box, they're going to burn you. And and it just I, like I said, it just for for LSU fans, it has to feel so just just so I'm not validating, not gra- maybe gratifying. It's just so good to live in an age where your offensive coaches are actually willing to make those adjustments, and and now you present defensive coordinators with a, an impossible problem to solve. Um, and, and you've proven it, right? If you can do that against Auburn, you can do that against anybody that will try to play you that light in the box. So. Shout out to the run game. Um, and that, that offensive line, obviously, that starts with them. Thad Moss, you're the honorary sixth offensive lineman in all of this. Um, very good work up front. Very good work by Clyde. Yeah. 100%. And Davis Price. You hit everything I wanted to say. Number 10. Here comes the game of the century, part deux. But deux. Um, yeah. Have you seen Hot Shots? Yes. Hot Shots, part deux. I have. It's been a while, though. I haven't seen him since college. Yeah, I was going to say, it's been a really long time. But, man, it's here. Number one versus number two. Looks like it's about an eight-point spread. It looks like I just saw one person. Is that what you're seeing right now? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you got to smash the eight there, huh? Or no? I'm not a gambling guy. I'm just saying you have a team that's undefeated against a spread. I mean. You're going into Tuscaloosa, but if you're going to give that team eight points. My gut would be stay away, but if I have to take one, if I'm going to pick them, yeah, I, I take well, I guess I just see I see it as like a 50-50 game in terms of I think it's a coin flip type of game and who's going to win. So if I'm going to get eight in a coin flip, if I was if I was getting now to be fair, uh, I'm a horrendous gambler. Um, so <laughs> that's you know my instincts are probably exactly what you don't need to do. But uh, if you're an LSU fan, you have nothing to lose. Smash the money line just for fun. See what happens. Could agree more. Uh, not couldn't agree more, but. I like. I'm sorry. Well, I, I you lost. just said that. You just. Did I just one lost of those track. Things. I think well, I just. You did I zoned out for about things. six yeah, seconds. So you zone out, and then you feel like, oh shit, I have to say something. And yeah. I do. I, I do it all the time. I, that I do is 100 well. what happens. Yeah, and then you just like say something that's very like uh, acceptable, no matter what the case is. Basically, uh, could agree more. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I do think we should. <laughs> it's a great point. <laughs> sorry, I was about to sound terrible. Uh, you were. You were. Were you? I was going to go... There's going to be like a genocide thing of just like, yeah, oh, I do th- like okay, I, I, didn't, okay. I zoned out. I was going to go a pedophilia route with it. Ooh, so, okay, uh, little, yeah. uh, uh, is it really that much darker? I think both are pretty dark. You're, you were just talking about murdering out entire swaths of people. Yeah, Banco specific. Um, you, yours was inherently specific. No, 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 no. It was talking about... Because very... maybe we could do genocide against like annoying people, you know? Like, <laughs> like people who wear beards. Against Alabama fans. Uh, yeah, yeah. Alabama. yeah. Journalist, oh no! I'm just making fun integrity. of you. This is an integrity thing. This uh, is me making fun of you. Um, I hope everybody in that Alabama stadium stubs their pinky toe as hard as I did this weekend when I was very drunk Saturday night. Um, I had a lot of fun hanging out with some of my old teammates. I'm glad to hear it, buddy. Um, you know, we went, tell, we went tell to, glory day stories. We went to Unami, yeah, yeah, and we uh, we slammed a bunch of sake bombs. Nice, a um, lot of conversations about man. If I was in this offense, yeah, well, that's my favorite of, L- former well, LSU player. Well, yes, this no, year. now that that always takes place. That definitely <laughs> takes place. Yeah. But you know, more stories about like 
Tabasco and people's buttholes and just the great times. We've of all college. been there. Yeah, I mean, who hasn't it's had college. a little? It's college. Who hasn't had a little hot sauce butthole from time to time? Our mitzvahs are nuts. Um, but yeah, it was it was a very good weekend. But I stubbed, dude. I stubbed my toe so damn hard, and I keep stubbing. I have Questionable. no spatial awareness when it comes to my pinky toes. I've, I've knocked off multiple toenails. Yeah. Uh, they. I don't think my pinky toes touch the ground when I walk. I don't know why. I think I, I think I have just. I think I have broken them to the point where they just are like un, yeah. they're dysfunctional. At this I actually point. hit mine really hard Saturday morning, so I'm glad we're on the same page. It's here. a terrible feeling. It is, and I hope My- everybody in Tuscaloosa and Brian Denny stubs the shit out of their toe. So you're questionable for the bye week? Um, oh no, I'm in, baby. Yeah. I'm all in. I'm, I'm excited to go Halloween trick or treating for the first time. Me and my wife are going to do fifty fifty where. Because uh, I also want to hand out candy, because that's super fun. Ah, that is a tough dynamic. Answering yeah. in costume and handing out candy is like super fun. Especially, I love pretending to be characters with kids because they like get a kick out of it. Yeah, I think me and the girlfriend are going to hang out at the house, pass out candy a lot. Maybe these sentences on the heels of my instinct to go a pedophilia joke are not. You know, th- that's, you probably don't want to marry those too much. Yeah, but 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 whatever. I wasn't going to put that together. Point, yeah. point, point being, I got you. I'm excited to hand out candy. I'm excited to go trick or treat with <laughs> yeah. Alice. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. It's you not, were the one who brought. Yeah, yeah, up. It's yeah. not good. It's not good. Don't look. Just just don't think of me that way, people. That's all I'm asking. Um and then uh Friday. Don't have much to do. So I mean that's gonna, gonna be, be super chill. I'm gonna be having a blast in New Orleans. Think I'm gonna nice. get drunk and go to the museum. Nice. It's gonna be a what great museum? day. The, Noma? Uh, Noma. Noma. Yeah. Uh yeah, it's great. Go look at the dueling oaks. It was a place back in the day where people would go duel. Which you probably could have guessed from the uh, from the day. Uh, no, yeah, I will. will. I love this sculpture. Our whole day is well. based around being outside and day drinking. That's yeah. our whole Friday plan. That is yeah. a great buy your beer garden. I love buy your beer garden. I know, yeah. big I fan. Love it so much that was my favorite spot ever. Uh, and then Saturday, I really wanted to go to Renfest. It is going to be the perfect Renfest day, but I have to go to a my friend's kid's birthday party. How old? Um, two or three, two, two. Which I'm fine with. I get it. Two. Um, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's one of my best friends in the world, but damn, if Saturday you could talk would be the a kid fine into making their birthday at Renfest. I think I might go in the morning and then go. I, I'm trying to plan Say, like hey, three kid, Renfest jump trips. Here, jump houses are cool, but you know, it's cool. Yeah, you know what else is cool? Buying replica swords. Hell yeah, yeah, yeah. or wooden wands. I'm, I'm just trying to help you out. We're watching a live joust. Yeah, and then I might go Sunday if I don't go Saturday. Oh, it's Renfest. multiple days. And then I've got a, it's a month. Renfest is a what? month long on the weekends. Morning. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you have to come. I'll let you know when I'm going with, we're, I'm going with a group in December. Uh, my sister and her family are coming in and uh, we're all going to, we're all going to go. It's, it's one of my favorite times every year. I would love to. It's spectacular. I'm going to add that to the list of things I promise you we're going to do together. Like uh, yoga, yoga Lattes. Yeah. Would you and have not done with me yet? I, I'm not opposed. I just haven't. I need to text you when I'm going. I'm my, really my bad I've actually been pretty fat and lazy, dude. I don't know if it's winter. And yeah. I, my last it's name's A-Bear. It's football season. Yeah, my last name's A-Bear, though. And I think I always, during winter, take on natural bear tendencies. And I start nice. to fatten up a little bit. So, cool. Yeah, I got a little pouch. It yeah. is what it is. Now I got candy in the house constantly. Ooh. Um, all right, on the way out of here. I'm about to get lunch, actually, so now I'm hungry, so thanks. Favorite candy? Ooh. I love Reese's. Reese's and Snickers. Wow. Okay, so I am 1,000% there with you. First off, all candy needs to be cold. All my candy needs to come Ooh, out. Ooh, I actually agree with that, yeah. Yes, it's it's so much better cooled off. 
Uh, Reese's and Snickers are absolutely at the top of my list, but you know what? Maybe if it's not at the top, it may be my actual top. But I just love it anyway because I get a ton of it because nobody likes it. I love, 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 love almond joys. Huh? Oh my god! I, I love coconut. I've had one. I'm going to revisit it for you. I right? love coconut. We'll discuss it next week. I love almonds and I love chocolate. So yeah. it's like what a marriage. I do love almonds, actually, which is a later in life thing. I had almonds for breakfast this morning. That's you dressing up? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a great if you just want to fight off the hunger pangs. Because yeah, I knew I was going to get lunch after. Exactly. This, you just eat a few nuts. What am I uh, being for Halloween? Yes. Um, for the sixth time in seven years, I'm being Maverick from Top Gun. Six times in seven years. I okay. <laughs> I'm sure it's a great costume. <laughs> Here's like I kind of do you not feel like you're kind of phoning it in at this I, point. One hundred percent. Okay. Well, also I love Top Gun. I really <laughs> love. She lo- and and Top Gun Two is coming out next year. I know. So that's the oh, when I saw that trailer, I'm like, oh baby, this costume just got <laughs> six more years of shelf life. <laughs> but here's why I've like so I bought this costume for like fifty bucks oh, when I was a freshman yeah. in college. When yeah. you were a freshman in college, fifty bucks was a lot of money. Yeah, to it's me. like you went all in on it. So I'm like, this thing is. I'm not buying another costume all in college. So I wore it every year, and then it became its own little gimmick of like, I'm, eh, I'm this is what I do. You yeah. know, hey, it's so I just kept it going. So, but I'm thinking now, I might. Is it too late? Do you have a nice man? Well, so I, I told my girlfriend. My girlfriend's very likes to be very weird on Halloween. She's very anti like dressing. She doesn't want to like be the, dressing promiscuously. Yeah, she doesn't. She's like, I want to just wear the weirdest thing I can. So I'm like, ah, do you want to be my ice man or my goose or something? And she's like, I'm gonna be a plane, <laughs> so just to stupid. like because one, she knows it'll make me uncomfortable, but two, so she literally is being. A plane, oh which is the most unattractive costume probably possible, oh. but it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna be like, mm, yeah, let me see those wings, baby. Oh yeah, ooh, are those jet turbines? Oh, spin them up. There's baby. a cockpit joke there somewhere. Um, oh, that's <laughs> probably the correct joke yeah. to make. Um, I, I will say the the. the I'm thinking about costume. buying a nicer one. That was what I was getting at. I'm like, now that it's been seven years, if I'm going to double down, yeah. it might be time to get a better one. Or you know what you do? You invest. This is what I've done a lot of my costumes over here. You invest piece by piece. So maybe you get like a the badass jacket one year. Uh, then oh, you go I, like, okay. Yeah. Like like the sick. Like you buy like a nice pair of uh, aviators or something. Like and then piece by piece, I've been creating. Now I'm probably wearing my wizard costume again to Renfest because my Gandalf one. It's my favorite costume ever. It's a great one. Um, but on the side, every year at Renfest, I buy a piece to make this other costume that eventually I will. Uh, I will wear. You hint at it? Um, well, it's not. It's just I just want to be a general kind of uh, medieval citizen. Okay. Not a step above a peasant. I don't want to be a nobleman. I think of myself like kind of like a merchant. Sounds I would love to be like a medieval like traveling merchant. That sounds awesome. Man. Of sorts. That so. sounds really exciting. <laughs> very, very excited. Hey, what are you? Yeah, I'm just an everyday guy. <laughs> no, a just little a different more, time period. A little more than an everyday guy. But not like all the all the way to being a noble. Uh, just yeah, man. Just you know, just that's what I love. You're the, like no, my no, fantasy no. dream, and why I love Renfest so much. It's to be just like okay. a tavern owner. Yeah. Like like I just want to be like in the world. Like my favorite Renfest memory, probably still the first year I ever went. I was um you know I I was buzzing. I was feeling great. I'm walking around this lake. It's in a forest, so you can't see the outside world. And they have, like, giant standing structures. I'm walking around this lake. I have my hand resting on my sword hilt. I'm drinking out of a horn, and this guy's playing a lute, and, like, the sun is setting. And it was just this, like, I was I was there. I, I was transported. And so it's the mundane that makes it so great, uh, in I, my I, opinion. I can very much respect that. I got um, you. Yeah. All right. I'll do it. This is our best ending yet. I agree.
I agree. My wife used to talk about unattractive costumes. In college, I dressed up as a 10-year-old's Luke Skywalker costume, and I was like 300-plus pounds, <laughs> so it was very gross-looking. And then my wife wore a children's Darth Vader costume, so it looked like I was grinding on a little boy uh, the entire night because you couldn't see her hair. Yeah. You couldn't really see her body. <laughs> like there was, It just looked like I was grinding with an 11-year-old. Uh, which, which back to the yeah, pedophilia. Yeah, yeah. We got to go. Uh, yeah. We got to go for something called the cops. <laughs> All right. There's another edition of the Hold That Podcast podcast. HDPP. Spread the word to your friends and, uh, yeah, tell them to listen and enjoy the bye week. And we'll be back next with uh, a breakdown of Aliens, a.k.a. Game of the Century Part 2.